Justin Lipich was one of several great players at Brisbane in the early 2000s who lived in the huge shadow cast by the Fab Four. 14 years on, Lepic has taken his Premiership Hall to four, this time as an influential member of Richmond's 2017 coaching panel. In between, there was what you might call a character-building three years as Brisbane coach. Welcome, Justin. It's been an eventful 25-year ride since you were drafted in 1992. Yeah, what's going on, Mike? Uh, mm. 25 years in the game, it's a long time, isn't it? You were a chirpy kid, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I'm different than I am now, um, but I was excitable and... Um, and, and probably did things that uh, young and experienced people do and you look back and, and probably cringe. Some would say chirpy, I'd say chirpy, <laughs> some would say cocky. Uh, yeah, probably cocky, but it, it, I think it more stemmed from, and maybe that's the look of it, but I think it, it's more of a life of the party type look of how I like and how, how I like to have fun on a footy field, particularly as a young person. And I coach players now that are similar, even Jack is a little bit similar to that at, at Richmond now, and as you grow up you get more mature and and your behaviours tend to get better. So I try and leave those days behind me, Mike. So. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> You're a 17-year-old from Melbourne. You're playing under Robert Walls in Brisbane. Halfway through your first season, you do your ACL. What did that do to your psyche at the time? It's hard. You're so young and dumb uh, at, at that age, and you think you're bulletproof, and because uh, it also blew out the lateral ligament too. So it's a very rare injury and a, and a tough rehab. So uh, I... I didn't put any more thought into it that I'm going to get back from this and play league footy. I, mean, I think with you, when you're a bit older, you realise the, the potential chance of things not happening. But at that age, it was all systems go and uh, that's not going to stop me. So that's all I was thinking at the time. We used to refer to you in the media at the time as a spasmodic full forward. <laughs> <laughs> was that a fair description? Uh, that's probably the nicest way you could put it, to be <laughs> honest. But yeah, I like kicking goals and... Um, and probably doing the things that the crowd like to see more than what my teammates like to see. And that's, uh, and as a coach now, you, you, you know, you, you see that. You appreciate all the little things that go in between the, the good skill efforts and things like that. So as I probably didn't appreciate that part of the game as a, as a young player. It was more about the fun part of it, the show part of it. Um, and that probably, the penny didn't drop for me for a fair while with that. Well, it was a fair while take you to 1999 and the arrival of one Lee Matthews. Yeah, I think that, that was a big part of it. Um, Lee coming, I mean, at the end of 98, we finished on the bottom and, and I was, you know, like a lot of us, tempted to leave at that point. I think that was the point where I thought, this isn't working here in Brisbane. And um, But then when Lee and Gubby and, and that crew came on board, it was like, no, there's light at the end of the tunnel here because we knew the list was relatively good. We just couldn't get get it all together. So, um, and Lee decided at that point, yeah, put, put me to full back and, and, and changed to this inconsistent forward and, and and probably give me more of a life down there. And you won the best and fairest in that, that year. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a big turnaround, and uh, I, I, I still think I probably played defence with a bit of flair also, but there's mm. so much more responsibility in defence to to make sure the opposition don't score. Um, so I think that sense of responsibility probably gave me a better balance in, in my game. You said, uh, I should have picked you up before, you said you were tempted about, uh, to, uh, to come home. Did that temptation ever sort of get close to being realised? Uh, my first, after year two, I actually packed up and left to, to not come back to the Lions uh, or Bears at the time, uh, funny enough. And a deal just couldn't get struck. No one was really interested. It's quite funny. You, you have a pick four in the draft two years later that's not interested nowadays. No one was? No. You get, you know, I had a little bit of a conversation with John Hook at the time at Hawthorne and there was some cold interest there, but nothing really eventuated. So I had to sort of pack up, uh, come back up to Brisbane <laughs> in my third season. Nine-year-olds don't carry much, mate. No, Wouldn't I didn't. Wouldn't have taken you long. No, I didn't need much. No. What about at the end of 2000, Justin? 
Yeah, now, but... You weren't to know what was coming, but St Kilda went after you hard, didn't they? Yeah, and it was uh, it was quite funny. Ricky Nixon was my manager at the time, and I was uh, I was sitting at home. We're out of contract, and, and back then, you look at contracts around about mid year, you know, around sixteen. You know, nowadays they're years in advance. You, you sign up your players, but Ricky said to me, "You're sitting down." I go, "Yeah, I was at the time." He goes, "St Kilda wants you to come." I go, "Oh, really?" I said, "Look, I'm pretty happy at Brisbane. St Kilda are about to go through a rebuild." And he goes, "Well, they just offer you two million dollars over three years." Two million. This is the year two thousand. Yeah, seventeen yeah. years ago. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. seven hundred grand a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would have been the highest paid player in the competition. And uh, two things that that would have a lot of pressure, obviously, that comes mm. along with that. Um, it, it just obviously, if it was a money decision, you, you go. You know, I stayed for Brisbane for much less, um, almost nearly half of that, to be honest. So it was. Yeah, so it wasn't definitely not a money decision. Back at that point in time, it was always been about success for me. But geez, it was it's quite a funny time because I know at that time I think they recruited Fraser Gehrig and Aaron Hamill and a yeah. few others. I think with that money, all for, the, all, for the, all for your price. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what happened at the time. I mean, maybe there's people at St Kilda might have a slightly different story, but that's what was presented to me with uh, with Ricky at the time. Did you dismiss it out of hand immediately, or did you have a think about it? I no, I didn't take me long to say no. I, I when I worked out that. You know, it was around about 15 or 16 percent of the cap at that point in time, and there was no support. I, as a defender, you need support. You need uh, a strong midfield that the ball's not coming in a lot, mm. and uh, you know some experience around you to make you. Also, as a defender, I wasn't your hard-nosed press the Como type defender. No, I, no, you were not. I, I was not. I needed. I needed to be able to mark the ball and intercept the ball and, and have some decent pressure upfield to play well um, and to use my strengths. So I knew I wasn't going to get that either. So. Yeah, I didn't want to be the high-priced player to walk in and also not perform. So that probably was an overriding factor too. And, and namely, I was happy at Brisbane, which is the number one. What about the Matthews influence? That would have been you would have had two years under him, win a best and fairest in your first year under him, uh, and then you could see this football club was emerging, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And um, I think I think he's third in the second year as well. So yeah, I, I was in fairly good football form. The the club was consistently playing finals football, so it would have been a massive risk. Um, to, to leave for another club at that time. You and Lee got on well, didn't you? Yeah, we do. We still do. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is from your mates that you were never intimidated by him. You got on well with him. It was a genuine warmth, but you were prepared to challenge him, weren't you? Yeah, and that's because Lee didn't mind that. Um, I know a lot of people are too scared to talk to Lee and, and have honest well, conversations. He's an exalted figure, isn't he? Oh, well, he is. And, there's, and of course there's certain things. I don't, it's not no holds barred, Mike. I, I respect the guy enough to, to not... Uh, take that you know too far in that relationship and, and be silly and disrespectful. But um, he was the sort of guy that liked um, to be challenged in that way, Lee, and liked people with ideas. But we are, in a lot of ways, very similar, but absolute opposites um, in a lot of things as well. I want you to take me back to an exchange you had with Lee after one of the premierships. It was 2003. It was, a la it was last year. It was just yep. a bit of fun. And look, I'm the sort of guy that don't like awkward silences, so well, it's quite funny. We were heading into a lift up to the top um, to see, so I guess, to get presented to the crowd after the 2003 Grand Final, and um, there was service lifts at the back of Crown, so they're quite large, and there was quite a few people in there, um, around 20 odd people in that service lift. But for some unknown reason, there was just complete silence. No one was speaking. Now you would have thought it's probably the most chirpiest and happiest yeah. time, but it just went silent for all of maybe three seconds. Um, and I looked at Lee and said, you'd be nothing without us, Lee. <laughs> and, uh, and that got a little bit of a laugh because I always like to jab little things like that at Lee. But yeah, he actually yeah. is a really funny guy and always gives a response. And 
his response was, you're right, Lepper. I'd only be player of the century without you guys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he was always good for a little quip back, Louis. No matter how many times you hear that story, it's still funny. Yeah, it is. And, it was very, and, and he, he's, he, he's very good at that, Louis. He used to get me every time I used to throw something like that at him. At the end of 2004, uh, you were going for uh, four flags in a row and missed out at Port Adelaide's hands. Mm. I hear, was it, uh, were, were the players a bit disappointed with the way Lee responded to that? Uh, straight after the game, um, uh, words to the effect of you blew it probably, you know, was the sort of a theme coming out of it um, from Lee, which is very unlike him and, um, you know, and, and look, it's, it's only words. I think we're all so hurt and so disappointed after that game. Um, you know, let's be honest, we won three grand finals out of four. You look back and think, geez, you know, mm. it's a pretty good effort. But at that point in time, everyone was pretty hurt. I think a lot of guys were in the club it's, were a bit disappointed also at the fixturing at the time. We, the preliminary final where it was played. And there's a lot of negativity surrounding that potential work that week, which ended up in the loss. And so, yeah, so, you know, well, I, I don't, I'm not the sort of guy to get hung up on words like that. I think at the end of the day we're beaten by a better team. Um, as simple as that. And that can happen. When I said before that you won the best and fairest in 1999, you actually tied with a bloke named Jason Ackermanis. The relationship with Acker and a lot of his teammates is interesting, but particularly with you, he wrote something amazing, I thought extraordinary in his book, Open Season. This is Acker. <laughs> I'm quite certain there were times in games when he, you, didn't kick the ball to me through sheer spite even though I was the bloke in the best position to receive the ball. Mm. Just one more sentence. Mm -hmm. I got the feeling he couldn't stand anyone who was a good player or did more media than him. How did you respond to that? I didn't know about it, to be honest, because I didn't read his book. So I, I probably found out years later. Years about, later? Oh, yeah, because it wasn't true, so it wasn't an issue. So mm. it's not like he ever came and had that conversation with me to say, I think, are you, have you got a problem? Are you not kicking me the ball? Or... We've never had that conversation our whole lives. So there's a part of Jason that is about the flair and the outside and telling the story and um, and the truth maybe slightly just just you know <laughs> one out one back. So yeah. I think that's one of those. I mean it's I mean it's, if you want to go back on tape, you'll see plenty of vision of me giving the ball to him. Or mm. you know I always ultimately think I'm a team player and always have been yeah. a team player. That's probably why I'm still in coaching. Did you ever challenge him about that? Yeah, I challenged Jason a lot, and and that was probably the. A bit that scarred our relationship a little bit because I was always the one to say, Jason, you can't do that. Mm. You know, that affects the team. You can't talk poorly about your teammates. You can't talk poorly about Lee. You can't tell the world that Nigel Lappin's got broken ribs going into a grand final. Mm. Like all those sorts of things. I was probably the one, as a leader, I felt like I was probably the one harping at him the most. And that's probably why he has more, you know, probably has more reg uh, resentment against me um, for that. How's the relationship now? Oh, really good. I think that everyone gets older and wiser and. You know, the past is the past. He, I saw him quite a bit in, when, he, when I was in Brisbane and brought him to training and got him to meet the players. I felt it was really important to get some of that past connection back to the club when I, was, when I was spent my short time in Brisbane. So he came and did some training sessions with the players. So, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, time heals all wounds, Mike. Justin, have a look at that. It's a grand final parade. Yeah. Uh, was there any conversation that day? Oh, absolutely. We yeah. always chatted. We were actually really close. Uh, in the in the 90s, in the late 90s, we'd go out together. We lived not far from each other, and you know, held, held caps at the pub together, and so on and so so forth. So we we, we were close. Um, when Jason probably after his Brownlow Medal win, that probably were for him, he thought of wanting to grow his media stature and all that sort of stuff. So he might think that it was me having a go at his. That I want to do more media, but it was more 
what was being said, not how much was being mm -hmm. said. So for the record, you never looked up and saw Ackerman is clear and change your direction to not kick it to him? I'll never do that in a million years to anybody. I don't no, care what's my worst enemy. No, I don't think you would, but yeah. it just, that clears it unequivocally. Yeah, yes, that's, it's, it's, it's sad you have to talk about it, but yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Did Lee ever get involved in that situation? Was it a situation when you were playing? Yeah, it was. Lee did a terrific job of keeping the leaders and, and the relationship with Jason intact. There was more than one occasion where not just myself but other leaders were like, I think this is it, we're done with him, it's, it's sort of had enough. Um, don't know whether Jason knows that or, or not, but um, and there was one particular time when Lee brought him into the leadership group on my last season in 2006, where um, I thought that I was probably going too far, and I think Lee had the he probably had the uh, the mentality of you know keep your enemies closer than yep. your friends, and, yep. and thought if you bring Jason involved, it might work, but in fact it probably didn't, and well it didn't because that was the year Jason. The year I retired was also the year Jason and Lee's relationship um, moved on as well. So uh, Lee tried his absolute darnest to, to keep that group together and keep us all happy and involved. And his management skills were second to none. To keep, not many coaches could keep that relationship with Jason and not just me but his other teammates that at times were um, fragmented with together and to still perform at such a high level. Lee had absolute faith in you, didn't he? I remember a game in 2000, Eddie Hedge Stadium. North Melbourne playing Brisbane. You're at centre-half back playing on uh, the best player that I've ever seen. Mm. Wayne Carey's kicked five goals to half-time yeah. and the coach leaves you at centre-half back. Pick it up from there. Well, he left me there because I, it, Wayne kicked his fourth and then he put Daryl White on him just at the end of the second quarter and um, within three seconds he'd thrown Daryl out the way and kicked another <laughs> one. So he went, well, maybe this isn't going to work either. So I went back on him and, um, and you, yeah, you'd think... You'd, this is a beauty of being young, Michael, and not really knowing what you're doing, but you think you'd be a bit more defensive when you come out and play, but I went out and kicked four goals the other way in the second half. So, yeah. And you blokes got in front, didn't you? I think you, you hit the front yeah. late in the last quarter. 40 points down at three-quarter time yeah. and, and nearly... We probably should have won. The last play of the game, Marcus Hashcroft was nearly um, pole drive into the dirt um, and probably should have got a free kick, to be honest, and, and maybe won that game. But, yeah, we come from 40 points down at three-quarter time and nearly snatched it. North yeah. won by four points. Yeah. Have you ever crossed paths with the Ducks since then? Yeah, yeah, I have. I actually, my, uh, we were in Bali for my 10-year wedding anniversary and he was there and uh, had a good chat. And he, he loves to bring it up, Wayne. If ever, whenever I do a, a media interview, he, he still sort of shakes his head. I don't think he can believe the cockiness of someone to, uh, to actually uh, attempt something like that. Yeah. So that's your natural style, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Even though you'd had four kicked against you, but five according to most people watching the game. <laughs> if you saw the ball and there was an opportunity to run, that's what you did. Yeah, and it wasn't, it was probably changed. The era I was, you know, was it 17 years ago, defenders really defended hard first and they weren't rebounders. And, and now the modern day game's got a balance of both. But um, definitely the key defenders never rebounded. They no, were, you know, no. they, we, we hear stories of past of, um, you know, Bruce Dool and the odd one here and there that were a little bit more attacking. But um, sort of that era, the 2000 onwards era, started to bring out the attacking key defender a, a little bit and it was good fun. You're a backman at heart, though, aren't you? Even though you started as a forward, mm. uh, do you not refer to the backline blokes as working in the men's department? Yeah, the men's department. It was mm. a little saying that Andrew Buse brought up from Geelong in yeah. uh, 94, and um, I was a forward then, so it probably used to irk me a little <laughs> bit, but I, uh, I kept it going uh, when we were back there. Did you, are you ever guilty of saying that the midfielders are just non-accountable blokes who've 
chase kicks and don't worry about picking anyone up? Absolutely, everyone says that. <laughs> everyone seems to bag the other area. When you're talking about Voss, Black and Co. Yeah, well, they just kept winning the ball, so it didn't matter. And that's that's the beauty about That's the uh, the funny thing about when you're in a terrific team. You get accolades, you're winning games, but the ball's coming in less, and when it does, it's coming in a lot more pressured, and so your job's much more easier. Mm -hmm. So the actual hardest part of footy is when you're near the bottom of the ladder, and it's coming in yep. a lot, yep. under no under no pressure, really. So it's quite funny. The easiest part of your career was probably when people thought you were going the best. Yeah. I've got a hypothetical for you. We mentioned Vossi. Yeah. Uh, the Brisbane blokes revere Vossi, and rightly so. Voss at his best against Martin, Dustin, of 2017. Yeah, geez, it's a good question. Because we, we tend to forget, don't we? You watch an old tape of Michael Voss and think, wow, that's just special. I, I think Michael was probably a cross between Martin and Cochin, to be honest, as a player. And, you know, the way Trent balls in is similar to the way Michael goes head first. Dustin doesn't tend to go head first into, into packs, but Dustin's got that outside game. You know, his ability to do everything with the ball. There's not a thing he can't, and he's tough and... Uh, yeah, I'm not answering your question at no, all, am not. I? I'm sitting on the fence big time. Yeah. But um, Well, let me soften it a bit. Okay. Uh, who would win out of the uh, uh, the Brisbane teams of 2001 to, to <laughs> four and the Richmond team of 2017? Oh, of course, Richmond would smash them by 100 points. <laughs> You're <tonight>. a fibber. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, uh, Dusty asked that. He goes, they, do you think they're going to put in the paper Richmond's team versus you know, Brisbane's back then? I said, maybe. I said, you'll have to play on Vossi and... We're going through all the different potential matchups. It's quite funny. But, look, they're all good things for the public to have a, yeah. a bit of a gas bag about. Oh, I think the Brisbane team that we talked about, I think that's as good a team as I've ever seen. Yeah, I think individually is the most talented when I look at a lot of the teams and, you know, just across the line. We still had some really good role players that are underrated, like Sean Hart and mm. Marcus Ashcroft. Craig McRae. Craig McRae. Yeah. Um, you know, he probably invented that small pressure forward type player, yep. you know. His goal is to get 10 tackles a game 17 years ago, and now it's something we see quite a bit in every time. You've had two stints at, uh, at Richmond as an assistant coach, mm. 2010 to 13, first time round. There was a very interesting story recently, Justin, in the Herald Sun, where Alex Rance paid a huge tribute to you and, in fact, almost to the detriment of, of Damien Hardwick about the role you've had in his development. Did you see the story? Yeah, no. We've, we get asked about that a little bit. And we, and Alex and I were really close, particularly in the early years. Um, you know, when you, I, I think the assistant coach-player relationship um, is even stronger than the senior coach, to be perfectly honest, because you spend more time. So if you really, particularly if you spend those formative years, that 18 to 22 years with a young player and and help guide and shape them through it, it's, it's probably the thing that sticks with them the most. And, and Alex was one of many players that I coached in that area, but had probably the, the most profound impact on. And so proud of him and where he's come to. And, and, and to finish the, the grand final, for him to win one well, it was, it was exciting. What did you teach him? I mean, he, my memory of Ranch was always brave, pretty good overhead, sloppy kick. Yeah, it wasn't the skill stuff, Mike. It was, um, I guess, with my coaching... Um, you don't want to talk about yourself too much and, and what no, your skill, skill sets are. <laughs> but I, I think the technical aspect of, of the game is my strength and, and knowing what to do in certain situations of body positioning and how to keep your feet and how to remain in a contest. And uh, Alex always had great will, but he was always on the floor. Mm. He was always on the ground. Mm. And we just spent a lot of time in keeping him upright, coming from, you know, coming from different angles and how to keep his feet. He, he's the one that has the aggression and the will and the desire to want to get to that ball. He always has had that. It's just 
the few little tools help shape him get to more contests. And once he's already there, he wins most of them. So. Well, who improves his disposal? No one really. I think what happens when you get a bit older, you get more balanced. And when you get more balanced, you're a better kick. You know, if you've planted legs stronger, you can kick a bit better. You know, often it's not just what you're doing from hand to foot. It's how your whole body mechanic is working together. And I think Alex become not that floppy... Uh, type player to a more strong upright player and when you like that you get a better chance to kick a more balanced ball so um, yeah and we can sit here all day and talk about the technicalities of kicking but um, yeah that's more the stuff we spent with him and then once his confidence improves you make better decisions and I think that part of his game improved. Last year you coached the forwards at Richmond from the outside looking in we hear about you both being in charge of that section of the, of the team how far does that control go? I mean, are you totally in control of, of what the forwards do? Uh, yes, a little bit. You fall under how your team wants to play, first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, one thing particularly um, assistant coaches could be very mindful of is making sure what you're doing falls under the banner of what the club needs. You just don't do things because, you know, you've always wanted to do them. Um, you know, we, we had a team this year that we wanted to pressure up, create, you know, all that type of forward pressure and create front-half turnover. Now, Richmond traditionally been really poor at that. Um, so you have, I have to fall within that banner and also coach under that, that guys as well. But I'm not a small, never been a small forward. No, man, so. but is that Damien's directive that you implement or, or, or does it, it come it, from you? It is, but it's a bit of both. You know, I've been in this game a long time and so I can, I can give advice, not just coach forwards. And, and, and I think the ultimate messaging with, with Damien and I as we look through it is this is, this is going to have to be our go this year. We were gonna, we've, we've pretty much got a list of small forwards. We've lost Vickery. Um, Griffiths didn't play a lot. Uh, Hampson went down. Uh, so you go, well, this is going to have to be what we do. And let's embrace it. Let's embrace it and just really keep playing these kids and encouraging them and, and set their goals around effort and defensive intensity. Are you a better coach now than you were when you coached Brisbane? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you get better with every year you're in the system. Um, I, I think losses and hardships tend to make you more reflective, hence make you a better person and decision maker. I'm, you know, even Damien says now that, geez, some of the stupid things we did in 2010 mm. when we first started at Richmond, and, and, and I'm the same with my time at Brisbane. You know, you look back at all the mistakes you made as a coach and what you do differently, and, and even the things you focused on, as simple as that, why would, I, why would I focus on that? I should have focused more in this area. So it's not saying you're wrong, but you just sort of didn't have it all together. And having said that, though, I, I also know I was just a little bit in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, my time as a coach there at the Lions. Although, if you had have completed your contract in Brisbane, you would have coached there in 2017 and then got the flick and Richard <laughs> won the flag. Well, maybe Brisbane would have won the flag, Mike, so you don't know. <laughs> or maybe Richard yeah. wouldn't have. <laughs> maybe Richmond would have. <laughs> now, I, I think I, lots of us think that people like Michael Voss, yourself, Brett Ratton, we've, they've got to be, you've got to be better coaches now than you were when you had the senior job. Yet it seems like your papers have been stamped. Not yours individually, but collectively of those blokes who get the flick. Mm. Maybe your media outlets can change that well, perception, Well, I Michael. think we should. I mean, I mm. under can't understand why that... I can't understand why people wouldn't say you would be better now than you were um, mm. three years ago. The American system really celebrate that, your losses as much as your wins in coaching, and it's almost, you know, <laughs> a seal of approval um, the more experience you've had um, in, in the American competitions. But we, we tend to do that. Um, whether it's right or wrong, who knows? But I think clubs have to be courageous enough. They're the ones that have to change it. You know, a CEO or a board member to say, look, we don't care that he's had a bad history, whether we think that he's perfect for our organisation right now. So, um, look, maybe we have got some growing up to do in that, that industry, but it wouldn't be great to see a guy like Rats or, or, or Michael back in the, in the coaching ranks again. Would you do it again? 
Yeah, I, I don't know, Mike, to be perfect. I'm, I'm still probably at the phase where I'm still happy where I'm at. Um, ask me in three years' time, two mm. years' time, maybe completely different. But uh, it's a really high-pressure job. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot going on. It's a really uh, a job that takes away from your family. Um, and, and people probably don't appreciate the enormity of it. Uh, that that role itself and, and and a lot of time it's a very thankless task as well so it's a big big thing to give up I know it's uh, a well-paid job as well so a lot of guys get into it for that reason as well but ultimately you do give up a lot to do that job how did you feel when the club that you'd given so much to and had been such a mutually beneficial arrangement when they tipped you out at the end of 2016 mm. yeah well obviously shattered I mean it's it's not something that anytime you go through something like that it's not a good thing um, to be dumped as a coach, but um, you know, upon reflection, that's what the club needed. You know, needed a fresh start. There was so much negativity surrounding uh, the club. There was so much change. There was so many. You know, there's so many things going on. In my, in my time as a coach, I had a new board, a new yep. CEO, a new footy manager, a new fitness manager, a new welfare manager. It, 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 the, the whole time there, they couldn't get any set. I think we had about 25 debutants when I coached. It, it, it was a really unsettled time when I was at the at the footy club and so I knew I was going to go into that though so it wasn't like I was blinded and but you're so optimistic you blokes aren't you blokes who are sitting out on their coaching careers they always take the optimistic view yeah and, and probably blindly a little bit for me being a, a again a young coach there about you know I can I can turn this around you know I can I've got a really good game plan I think I've got all these things but really uh, it's almost irrelevant you, you get to Brisbane and the biggest issue is retaining kids and keep making a happy club that was that was more my brief than than yeah. anything Quinton Hull, uh, the, the Brisbane-based ABC journal, said this uh, of you after you left. He said, quote, Norm Smith could not coach his way out of this one. He said there was a poor list, no real leadership and the worst facilities in the AFL. Mm. Does that give you any comfort? A little bit. The facilities thing I try not to worry too much about. I, I think they're very important and I think that helps with the retention. But, you know, you can, you can win flags with average facilities, but you definitely... You definitely need a strong list that's healthy. I mean, I think we had the worst injury rate too in the comp, not having Dane Beams there. and So there's a lot of things like that that play a part. And look, and by the end, what that makes you desperate. And then as a coach, you make desperate decisions mm. and um, make mistakes as well. So it just ultimately, I, I think the right decision was made to, to cut it fresh and let everyone start again. Well, suppose numerically 14 wins from 66. It's going to put you under the hammer, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's circumstantial. There's, there's coaches that had five, six, seven seasons that, you know, haven't played finals yet that, you know, that might start getting under the pump. And there's coaches that only get a small mm. window of opportunity and, and need it. It really depends on a lot of factors, I think. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's just uh, the win-loss because if you're asking that of a, a coach that's to play a lot of young kids and then say, but by the way, you're getting judged on win-loss... I don't think anyone would take the job under those circumstances. So it's just it's, the club have to be united on what they want to set as their goals. If it is win-loss, great. Um, it might be development of players. It might be how many games get into young kids. It might be a lot of different factors for them to hit their eventual goals of playing finals and winning premierships. Before we go, do you know Frank the Tank? <laughs> <laughs> Who is he, is that Justin? Alistair Lynch? Yeah. <laughs> Frank the Tank. Never heard of him. Never, Never heard, heard of him. him. Oh, no, I know. I've said before, I like to have a, a bit of fun, and I do like mm -hmm. the fun side of footy. But um, Frank the Tank, he said at the movie Old School, he was a bit of the ringleader of the fun and the party. So um, I adopted that nickname towards the end of the year. You adopted it or you were given it? Uh, well, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, Justin, it's been great to have, have you on the program. I, I genuinely love watching you play. You're a skillful, athletic, adventurous, and I love the way that you just surged out of the fences. <laughs> if it didn't matter what part of the ground you were on. Good to see you. Congratulations on now four flags, and good luck for 2018. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.